Now, we've talked to our friends at the Water Watchers about the fact that there's microplastics in our Great Lakes. But uh, Grail, Gail Kratzenberg is a professor of engineering and public policy at McMaster University. She just recently did a study, and the findings are uh, such that we need to take some action now on the microplastics which are accumulating in our Great Lakes. Gail, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thanks for being here. First of all, which of the Great Lakes did you sample? So this is a, this report was based on the work of a number of other researchers. So I wasn't the, the primary researcher doing the sampling, but they sampled all of the Great Lakes. Okay, so you it's it's like a, a meta meta sampling. I guess um, you took a bunch of research and then you you combined everything to reach a conclusion. That's right. Okay, so what are the uh, findings, in your opinion, of of what, what's going on with the plastics accumulating in the Great Lakes? It's not. It's not a whole lot different from what we see in the oceans. It's just that people don't realize it's happening in our backyard. So, Where are the microplastics coming from? They're coming from a number of ways. So one, one way is when we launder our textiles, a lot of the like waterproofing and various um, athletic gear have microplastics in the material for various prote- pro- um, properties, but they wash out in our in our laundry and they wash out into the sewage treatment plants. And very often, depending on the level of treatment of the sewage treatment plant, we find the microplastics higher concentrations downstream from sewage sewage treatment plants. So it's coming from our laundry. It's also coming from. Um, Regular old single-use plastics that we throw in the garbage after we use them once for like 15 seconds, we put them in our blue box and we think we're doing a good job. But in fact, because our blue box is so contaminated with other wastes, a lot of the blue box materials goes into landfill anyway. And those plastics are very light. They blow around. They fly out of the landfill into the tributaries, into the lakes. And over time, they break down into microplastics. It could be 10 years, 15 years, 100 years, or way more than that. But they eventually will break down as well into microplastics. Then there were microbeads that used to be up until very recently in cosmetics to abrade your skin and make you look nice and shiny. And, you know, we go back in history, we used to use like ground up almond shells for that kind of thing. And then now we have these micro beads that are plastics. And fortunately, the government of Canada and many other jurisdictions have banned those in products now. So that's one good step, but it's just a small step to to tackle the problem. Okay, so we need to tackle the problem. Um, You know, uh, my producer, Chris, and I have faith in humanity that we can, you know, with our technology and putting, you know, our brain power, we can undo some of the damage. Is there any way we can look at sewage treatment plants and improve them? Or are we talking about plastics that are far too small? So we're talking about a few ways. There are filters that be put onto your own laundry machine that are being tested now in certain parts of Ontario, and they're found to be quite, quite good at stopping, at filtering out even the microplastics from going to the sewage stream plant. If we have, there are different levels of treatment. There's something that is very common. It's called a secondary level of treatment, a more advanced level of treatment tertiary treatment is able to capture the plastics. So if we moved all the plants to that extra filtration piece at the end of the sewage treatment plant, we could capture them from going out. But that's only from that source. A very important source is the things that we choose to do as individuals. When we have one apple, we put it in a plastic bag, we take it home, we put the apple in our fridge, and we throw away the plastic bag. Like that's not You're talking about when you're shopping in the produce department. You see those little plastic bags that are going to break in a second. And the worst part is you can't even open them up. Yeah, right. It's about changing people's 
ideas about what is an acceptable behavior because it's getting into the environment, it's getting into the food chain, it's in our drinking water, it's everywhere. And we can't, once the microplastics are in the lake, it's too late. What do they do to us? We don't do we actually know? know. We don't actually know. We know what they do to, to fish and wildlife. Yeah. Because they could, I mean, a, a, a small fish eating a plankton that's full of plastics will starve to death. Yeah, because they have no nutritional value. The amount of plastic that's in our bodies, science still doesn't know. Health science still doesn't know if that's a harmful level. It's in a natural level. We should not have any plastics in our body. But how is it hurting us? We still don't know. And here's where I would say we should act in a precautionary way. It's not natural to have plastics in your body. They have potential they're from petroleum products. They have carcinogens that could be associated with them. Maybe the dose is low enough not to harm us yet, but we, can't, we should not be taking that risk. We what, should be stopping that. What's the greatest obstacle to overcome when it comes to changing someone's actions and, and just the, the way we live our lives? Because, you know, I just think... You know, we know the things are bad for us. We know that it's wasteful. We still do. We still, um, you know, do the same thing over and over again, day in, day out. It's a very hard question to answer. One of the hardest questions to protect the integrity of our health and the environment, and, and I'm, I'm particularly a champion for Great Lakes protection, is to be aware of what we do. And I think people don't really recognize that when they go get that plastic bag, it is so convenient. You've been doing it for decades. What's the problem? Well, if people start listening to that there is a problem and that there are easy things to do, paper bags, reusable shopping bags, cloth bags. I see a lot of people doing that already. That's great news. I'm pleased to hear that, Kelly, because that's the direction we need to head in. We, you know, when I stand behind somebody at a checkout line in a grocery store, I don't feel it's my place to tell them, why do you need a bag for that one onion? Yeah, but that's probably a good, good call. But it probably is something that we should be having a campaign over. Like, and and what, one, one thing that I'm thinking is, is a possibility is if, if the province of Ontario and the Great Lakes states thought this was a big deal for the Great Lakes, they could ban single-use plastic bags in grocery stores. They could do it tomorrow. Yeah, or your grocery store could just say, no, we're not carrying them anymore. That's true. It's amazing how quickly we'd adjust. It's true. We do adjust quickly. The thing is, if we do it store by store by store, we'll miss a bunch. If, it, if, it's, if it's required by law, then everybody complies. So, yes, let's encourage the grocery stores to start, start taking the initiative themselves. Cities, take the initiative yourself. But provinces and states... Make it mandatory that this stuff is no longer acceptable for consumer use and to have good other options available to them. Dr. Kratzenberg, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. Have a great day. She is uh, Dr. Gail Kratzenberg. She's a professor of engineering and public policy at McMaster University.